This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Okay, switching gears. It is something that most of us probably don't think about when we get over-the-counter drugs, and that is, how do they interact with other over-the-counter drugs or food and drinks as well as supplements? Our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association explain that knowing about these possible drug interactions is very important. And it's also, uh, even if you're avoiding a bad reaction, uh, you also need to know these things to make sure that what you're taking works uh, most effectively. I am here with trusted contributor, pharmacist John Papasturgio, and welcome, and he's going to be taking your calls. Yeah, it's good to be back, Libby. So, I mean, drug interactions are one of the most common uh, causes for hospital admission. I think something around 6% of all uh, ER visits are due to some type of adverse drug uh, reaction or drug interaction. So I think, you know, our listeners and patients in general, they have to be very aware of what they're taking. And then, uh, you know, when they're combining multiple medications, are they involving their pharmacists in, uh, you know, making good decisions? Because it's very easy to go into a pharmacy, buy a bunch of stuff over the counter, and the reality is there is uh, the potential for some of those things to interact. Simply being available over the counter doesn't mean they're they're safe. So it's uh, I think something everyone's got to consider. Okay, uh, let me give the numbers out again because uh, you may want to have a peek inside your medicine cabinet and uh, see. Well, maybe you're taking two things, and I know. I mean, you know, when it's over the counter, you don't give it much thought, and. You know, the, the ingredients in that stuff, even if you try <laughs> to figure yep. it out, the print is so small and the names of the chemicals are so long yep. and and uh, you could end up uh, overdosing on something if you're taking two things. So let me just give those numbers out again. 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Forty. I'm here with John Papasturgiu, our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. And uh, especially if you have a bit of a heart condition or something, you could end up taking with stuff that's really bad if you just add a, a decongestant or something. Absolutely. And, and you know what, what we, you know, what, the reality with many of the over-the-counter products is they contain many of the same ingredients. So they're just a variation of kind of uh, the ingredients that are found in almost all, especially the cough and cold products. So uh, the most common interaction that I see in patients that are self-selecting over-the-counter things is what we call a therapeutic duplication. So they buy one uh, ing- one item that's got Tylenol in it, for example, and then they buy another item that's got Tylenol uh, in it. And what they do is they're combining the two, and before they know it, they're over that maximum daily dose for Tylenol specifically, uh, and which could be toxic to the liver. And I, I mean, that's a, a simple example. 
but it can happen with the decongestants as well. Decongestants are found in many of the cough and cold products, if we use those as an example. And if you have high blood pressure, you combine a couple of those two, all of a sudden your your, your blood pressure spikes and it could put you at risk for heart attack, stroke, and whatnot. So um, I think that the, the easy answer here is if you're not sure, ask your pharmacist. That's what they're there for. Go up to the counter and say, I'm thinking of taking this or combining it with this. These are the medications that I take, and hopefully they're able to get, you know, give you a good answer and make a good decision for you. The other thing is the potential to combine with the prescription medications. Is there's a lot of interactions there also. So it's how do you balance all these things? And it's not always so easy. Okay, uh, let's get right to the phones. We've got Alice in Guelph. Hi, Alice. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good. Um, I was curious uh, if you're taking any kind of painkillers, like prescription-wise, and if this marijuana thing does go through, um, what would happen to those people that might decide, oh, I'm going to have a few drags off that, but they're taking high blood pressure and all this stuff? What's going to happen? Well, I mean, uh, you know, we will treat marijuana just like any other medication. So uh, our goal will be to identify those potential drug interactions. The reality is, and what I find in practice, is patients don't tell you they're using marijuana, and that's where we get the, uh, the challenge. So they'll come in and, uh, uh, you know, they'll say, I'm picking up this prescription. And then if you probe them a little bit, they'll say, well, you know, uh, this is not for me, but my friend is taking marijuana. And if they, you know, if uh, using marijuana, if uh, if they were combined, these two things, would it be a problem? And, and in some cases it could be, in others uh, it may not. Uh, the reality is if you were combining it with opioids, you could potentially have some problems uh, mm-hmm. with sedatives like the benzodiazepines or whatnot. So, uh, again, it's about uh, building that relationship with your pharmacist and ha- you know having the trust to be able uh, to be very honest about what you're taking. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes that's a challenge. But uh, once uh, marijuana becomes legalized, I'm sure it's going to be something that we have to deal with more and more commonly because it's going to be, I think, uh, uh, more commonly accessible, more commonly used. Thank you very much. No problem. Okay, thanks. Uh, let's go to Gerald in Aurora. Hello, Gerald. Yes, uh, well, I treated my, uh, uh, this is like a, it's like a fat burner pill. Okay. Good, uh, could I take that with uh, medic- for high blood pressure medications? Um, good question. I find the vast majority of those fat burner pills, they have some type of stimulant in it. What, right? what is a fat burner pill? Well, of- there's a bunch of them. It's called yeah, he's he's referring to a specific one. But and generally, what is it? It's is it a diet aid? Yeah, it is. Yeah. They're usually metabolic stimulants that help you burn uh, uh, fat uh, in conjunction with exercise. Uh, historically, they used to have quite a bit of pseudoephedrine in them. Uh, now that's been uh, that's been stopped, and you don't see that as much. Uh, if you have high blood pressure and uh, you're using the two in conjunction, I'd be very careful to see uh, you know to to know what's in it. I don't know off the top of my head what's in that product specifically. But if it's got any ephedra-like derivatives, it has the potential to to raise your blood pressure. So just be cautious. Maybe uh, you know uh, monitor your blood pressure a little bit closely uh, over the next few days when you're using the product. Uh, that being said, generally in those products, the amount that's allowed now is quite low, and you shouldn't have a huge problem. But uh, my suggestion to you would be just monitor. If you see you see a spike in your blood pressure, stop using it. Yeah, thank you very much. No really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. You've been answering my call. Carefully. Okay, great. Uh, let's go to uh, Nadia in Oakville. Hello, Nadia. Hi, thanks for taking my call. 
Um, I think it should be the uh, responsibility of the patient actually um, to notify the pharmacist of you know any drug interactions that they have. I have a lot of uh, things that I'm allergic to. Um, having said that, obviously the key to having a great uh, pharmacist is uh, and knowing them and getting them um, to know them on a personal level. I think is really great too. And perhaps maybe the government could start spending some money on. Um, some signage, you know, something in the pharmacies. I know I do see them, you know, ask your pharmacist uh, about this and about that, but um, maybe have, you know, did you know that sort of thing? Um, did you know that these drugs interact with these drugs? Whatever the most common things are. Um, that's it. I just had a comment. Yeah, no, and a couple of good points there. I think, uh, you know, I'm always surprised, you know, if you ask a patient, all patients generally know their physician's name. Uh, some will, some won't know their pharmacist, right? And I think uh, we have patients that jump around from pharmacies quite a bit, especially in big urban centers like the GTA. You've got a pharmacy on every corner. The challenge with that is, unfortunately, our systems are not linked, right? So if you're filling prescriptions at multiple locations, we don't always have access to your entire uh, medication history. So, uh, you know, whenever a new patient will come in uh, to my pharmacy, we try to spend some time to get an idea of what they've actually taken. Do they fill prescriptions elsewhere? So we have kind a better, um, you know, uh, you know, profile uh, put in place. So when we fill the uh, the actual prescription, we could try to identify some of these uh, uh, potential drug therapy problems. Uh, that being said, I think she made another great point there. Uh, patients, if you're out there, you're going to a new pharmacy, and you know you're taking other things. Let your pharmacist know. I, I think uh, uh, you'd be surprised how many of these medications do interact, and uh, it may be something as simple as spacing them out. Uh, in other cases, we have to stop one of the drugs. So uh, uh, build that relationship with your pharmacist. Take some time. Do a medication review if it's offered to you or if you think you'd benefit from one. There is uh, funding for that available in Ontario. And just you know, spend some time talking to your pharmacist and get, make sure you have the most accurate uh, drug history on file. Okay, Nadia, thanks for your call. Uh, I'm going to give the numbers out again. I'm here with our trusted contributor, John Papasturgio. We're talking about drug interactions, and and we're focusing also on over-the-counter drugs because, you know, um, I think we've we've probably gotten through to patients that that prescribe drugs. They maybe take a look at this, yeah. but but people naturally don't. You know, when you when you just go and pick something up off the shelf, you think, what harm can there be in it? Yeah, and for me, when I think of over-the-counter, I could almost group the problems. It's acetaminophen or Tylenol, Mm -hmm. multiple uh, sources, very potentially hepatotoxic. Uh, The NSAIDs, these are things like Aleve or Naproxen, Ibuprofen or Advil. They're available in different forms, also in their kind of individual products. When you combine uh, various sources of that, it could potentially be very, very hard on your kidneys and on your stomach. Then we look at things that bind. So, you know, your vitamins and minerals, you're buying those over the counter. But if you're taking thyroid pills, for example, or uh, other medications, those are very sticky medications. So they bind uh, to the other drugs and will reduce their efficacy potentially. Uh, Decongestants, we already talked about. They're found in all all the cough and cold products. Have you thought of, uh, you know, uh, how much decongestant you're taking, particularly if you're at risk for cardiovascular disease. So these are the kind of things I think of really quickly when people are self-selecting. But um, again, just ask your pharmacist if you're unsure. Okay, Julian Scarborough. Hi, Julie. Oh, hi. Um, my question is regarding uh, the statins that, that are in this cholesterol pill. It's called Simvast. 
Batten. Yeah. And I was just wondering, I was told that women, most women can't take this because I know I get it, uh, muscle are really bad, stiff in the legs. Yeah, so it's not it's not just women. Good, good, very good question. So, the statins are a class of drugs, and the one you mentioned is simvastatin or Zocor. It's a cla- It's a medication that's uh, used to lower your uh, cholesterol. One of the most commonly prescribed medications, actually. And there's a bunch of uh, drugs that belong to this class. Lipitor is another one, or Torvastatin, Crestor. Uh, so, uh, you know, our listeners may be taking a, a version of that. The most common uh, side effects with that are some stomach upset, myopathy, which you just mentioned, which is that muscle kind of uh, uh, a pain that could happen. Uh, um, and, and generally what happens for that is there's a blood test that the physicians will do at about 30 days after you start therapy uh, to see. It's called, uh, uh, they look for something called creatinine kinase or CK. And if it's elevated, you're at risk for that myopathy. And, and in very uh, bad situations, it could become uh, problematic. Uh, the third kind of thing we watch for is liver toxicity, and uh, the doctors will also measure uh, liver enzymes to see if there's any potential liver toxicity. Uh, uh, it does happen in a small uh, percentage of the population. Generally, what we'll do is we'll either reduce the dose, stop the drug, try a, uh, you know another version of the drug, because uh, I said that class has multiple uh, kind of uh, versions of uh, uh, statins, or even try a different type of cholesterol medication. But you should be monitored for that uh, at some point after starting therapy. If you haven't had your blood work, uh, generally 30 days after, uh, ask for it, talk to your pharmacist, because uh, uh, it's something that we do look for. And you're right, it can be potentially harmful if it goes uh, uh, uncaptured. Thank you. Yeah, I was just curious because I've been taking it for a while, and then I just decided to go right off of it because I know I I have osteoarthritis in my left hip, and it's confusing because the pain I know in my hip, but then in, in my muscle, it's a different type of a pain. It's not only stiff, but sometimes it runs down my leg. And then my doctor asked me about, Are you sure it's not coming from your your hip? I was confused because I was told that the statins can cause the muscle pain. So the muscle pain that's associated with the statin, we can detect at least, right, with the uh, with the blood test. Don't prematurely stop, especially if you have uh, a dyslipidemia or high cholesterol, because you know that's going to put you at risk for other things. Yes. And the reality is we have other options. So, I mean, if yes. we think it might be the Zocar co- causing it or the simvastatin, then we'll try something else. But yes. let's get that cholesterol managed as well, because yes. that's the silent killer. You know, it goes without, you know, really any symptoms. Yes. And before you know it, boom, you got a, a stroke or a, a yes. heart attack. So let's uh, let's try to manage everything, but let's yes. not stop prematurely either. Yes. Okay. Well, what is the number for cholesterol that's a good number? Oh, it's a good question, right? So it depends uh, uh, for the LDL, uh, which is the one we kind of think of the bad cholesterol. We generally uh, want to get, if a patient has risk factors or underlying cardiovascular disease, we target less than 2.5. That being said, if you don't have risk factors, a, a higher number is kind of acceptable sometimes. Thanks. And then for your good cholesterol, you want it over the HDL, you want it over 1. But again, we, we, we don't deal, always deal with absolute numbers now. We risk stratify patients. So what's good for some patients may not be good for others. So that's Thank important you. to note also. Okay, Julie, thanks for that. Thank you. 
Okay. Uh, we have to take a break. Uh, before we go to break, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And we will be back taking more of your calls and questions for John Papa Sturgio. Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Welcome back. I'm here with John Pepistergio, our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. We are talking about drug interactions and specifically focusing on, uh, you know, some of those over-the-counter drugs that you may not be thinking about. So we are getting right to the phones. Molly in Niagara Falls. Hello, Molly. Hi, thanks. Um, I have a quick question. I'm not sure if you know much about CBD oil. Um, but I'm wondering about, like, if if a person could take that if they're taking thyroid medication. It's a great question. Uh, I don't know a ton about CBD oil, but I will tell you I know quite a bit about thyroid medication. Yeah. And thyroid medication is one of those things that binds to everything. So I would imagine it probably would have some potential interaction with the CBD oil. That being said, it's solved quite easily because it's a physical interaction. All we do is we separate the two, right? So if I generally tell patients to try to take uh, the thyroid uh, medication without anything else, it's okay to take with food uh, as long as it's not a food that's uh, very high in kind of iron or minerals or whatnot. Uh, It's safe to do that. But try to separate your your other medications from the thyroid, particularly if you take things like multivitamins or whatnot, because what will happen is your uh, dose effectively would be reduced because some of it would get bound. Is is okay? That's I, I, that was my question. What do you mean that it's going to bind? So if yeah. it binds, it, it it's, uh, it's because, less good. Yeah, it becomes inactive, right? Oh. So uh, it it forms kind of it it forms another kind of structure, and it doesn't get to work as a thyroid hormone. Uh, uh, the reality is, if your doctor is doing the blood work, uh, they'll adjust for that and probably increase the dose. So uh, eventually, you'll get into that therapeutic range. But what I f- find does happen occasionally. Is patients will then again change their habits or their diet or what they're taking, and all of a sudden, they'll spike high with respect to the thyroid hormone. So uh, my advice is try to separate it if you can. The CBD oil, I'm sure, is fine to take if you, as long as you don't take it at the exact same time. Okay. Uh, mine, like I'm thinking about for pain, because CBD oil is supposed to be good for pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah so sure. She, he just said just separate you se- when you separate take them. Out. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, thanks so much. No okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to Dora in North York. Hello, Dora. Hi. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Um, I had a question for John. Regarding probiotics with antibiotics, when you take, they tell you take antibiotics, you know, uh, infections, whatever, for children or whatever, then they say give them as well probiotics, of course, spacing it out. What is your recommendation to that? Um, I have my daughter who whenever sometimes I do give her the probiotic and then it upsets her stomach. Absolutely. It's a good question, actually, and it's still a little bit controversial. So it's not, it's not uh, you know, an exact norm to, you know, for, for what to do in this situation. But yeah. the reality is the recommendation for probiotics, especially when you're taking a broad spectrum antibiotic. So broad spectrum antibiotics are antibiotics that kill a lot of different 
types of bacteria. So things like amoxicillin or penicillin, they, they're actually uh, pretty broad and they, they could wipe out not only the bad uh, bacteria that are causing the bacteria. infection, yeah. but kind of the good flora in your gut as well. And in women, uh, uh, in their vaginal canal as well, and that's why you see yeast infections in women post, uh, 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 post-antibiotic therapy. So the idea with taking a probiotic is that it will replenish some of that good bacteria, help with the, uh, you know, uh, the GI symptoms that could result and help prevent those yeast infections. So okay. uh, does it help? In some patients it does. Depends on the antibiotic. Uh, is it going to hurt if you do it? Absolutely not. So it's okay if you want to try it. The reality, though, is sometimes when you take an antibiotic, you get stomach upset. And it's not because of the uh, the bacteria uh, you're getting getting wiped out. It's just because that's one of the side effects of some antibiotics as well. So uh, the the gut flora take a little bit of time to get eradicated, and for yeah. that disruption to occur. But um, yeah, I have many patients that we make that recommendation to. Many now just take it on their own, and if uh, I think there 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 definitely is some benefit. So go ahead and do that, and and it's safe. And we're seeing it a lot uh, with the probiotics in kids now also. Yeah, the other option, I know it's old-fashioned, is that yogurt, plain yogurt was good to Absolutely, eat. nothing wrong with that either. either. Right? Yeah, so, uh, and that's what some people do, because the probiotics can be pretty expensive, eh? They're not yeah. cheap, so yeah, you could do that as well. Okay, Dora, okay. thanks. Thanks. All right. Uh that's a. I don't know if you have the answer. This is like a food question, right? But you know, I'm I'm in the grocery store and I see okay the yogurt with probiotics and and the yogurt that doesn't say it has probiotics, but don't don't they all have? Yeah, it? so I think they all do to some extent. I think the ones that are fortified or are branded specifically for that, they may add some specific uh, uh, oh. you know yeast in there, like bifidus. Some of the ones that we know are really good to replenish or that get wiped out. Uh, and cause some of those GI uh, side effects. But the reality is, yeah, I don't think there's a huge difference. There's sometimes a huge price difference uh, when you oh, compare the, the two. The, the the probiotics was on sale, but I went with my regular <laughs> brand anyway. So, yeah, man, that no, was a I mistake, think, right? Yeah, unless you're really actively trying to replenish something, I think you're good either way. You should be okay. Okay, let's go to Ruth in Toronto. Hi, Ruth. Oh, hi there. I was just wondering what uh, one can do about these uh, drug companies not producing um, the medications that they have been producing, like Apotex for what medication I've been, the nasal spray. Um, I called them and I called my pharmacist and um, nobody can tell me when I would be able to uh, start taking the medication again. Ruth, you're going to make me open up a big can of worms here, but this is the reality of some of the reforms that we're seeing, right? We're putting a lot of pressure on generic manufacturers to reduce their price, and it's extraordinary. April 1st, uh, we had more drug reform here in Ontario, and we saw the price of generics go down to 10% of the brand for some of our most common drugs. And the result of that is is what you're seeing. Some of the generic manufacturers are saying, hey, uh, you know, we can't make the drugs for that price. Uh, there's not enough incentive in it, and we're seeing back orders, uh, shortages, and whatnot. In other situations, it may just be there's a simple back order and that drug, for whatever reason, can't be produced at this time. But it's becoming more and more of a reality. So we're, we're seeing this every day in practice. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for, for uh, uh, the economy or the, the economy of pharmacy or the you know, economics of pharmacy to stabilize. But the reality is reforms hit the generic manufacturers quite hard. 
and we're seeing or we have the potential to see some shortages and it's uh it comes up i think it's come up on the show before as well uh i've been on this medication for 20 years now i can't get it right okay so you basically have to try and find a substitute that's what we're doing so work with your pharmacist don't wait forever sometimes we could tell you hey we think there'll be availability in a couple weeks other times we have no clue and we just make people wait the reality is, work with your pharmacist. Let's get you. I know, it. but you know, if you call the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, the pharmacist has a list of um, of generic uh, medications, and none seem to be available. Well, none in that class. I think that's no. the problem. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, what do you do then? We got to try another medication. We just got to try to switch. That's it. Well, yeah. it's uh, it's um, it's. Um, Oh, you know, anti-inflammatory. There's many anti-inflammatories out there. That's the reality. So if the one that you're on is not available, we'll switch you to something else. We'll talk with your doctor. We'll work with your doctor. But don't wait forever. Don't suffer in pain. And especially if it's for a chronic disease that we're trying to reduce your risk for something, let's get you on something else. Well, hopefully they find something. My pharmacist uh, called my doctor. I haven't heard back. Well, um they're in contact, so... Mm-hmm. Follow up with your pharmacist. Let's yeah, get it Yeah, follow out. up. Okay, thanks for your help. Thanks, Great. Ruth. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Jennifer in Scarborough. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, good afternoon. I have two questions for John. Um, one, is, The first one is collagen. What is collagen and who should be using collagen? Good question. I mean, I don't think there's, uh, you know, collagen. collagen. I know for a pill or or cream. You could get it in both forms, right? And the reality is what you're trying to do with it specifically. But, uh, you know, I haven't seen any real firm indications for it. Collagen's found normally in your body. It gives your skin its elasticity. It's involved in the joints and the joint matrix. I know patients that have uh, osteoarthritis have, you know, considered using it. There's collagen-like injections you could use for different type of derm procedures. So, really, yeah, I think it's like the, uh, anti-aging and right, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, not not surgery, but non-surgical uh, beauty procedures. That's exactly it. So it really depends what you want to use it for. Is there a firm indication where I suggest anyone that has a specific kind of uh, disease or therapeutic issue should use it? Probably not. Uh, does it help? I imagine it's still controversial because collagen is a huge molecule. It's very hard to get absorbed. Day, eh? so it's not it's something that's easily absorbed. That's why uh, the physicians, dermatologists, will inject it because you can't really. Although it's available in pill form, I, I'd be surprised if any of that's actually getting absorbed when you take the pill. Have you Have you tried it, Jennifer? I have not tried it. I went to the health food store to look for something, and I was talking to the lady about the pain I was having. So she um, told me about it, and she gave me this um, paper that says um, it's. It's good for your joint pain and inflammation, and it also helps to support the bone density and uh, support the um, improvement of your skin and your nails and your hair. So, yeah, and that's... And I've never taken it, so I just want to know... So you've identified pretty much everywhere where collagen is found. The, 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 the challenge is how do we get the collagen there, right? Uh, and that's why the injections, uh, you know, work in certain situations. The reality, if you're having pain due to osteoarthritis, there's better therapies than the collagen, right? And, uh, uh, you know, generally we start with plain Tylenol. That's first line. 
There's injections of things called hyaluronic acid that the physicians could do. So there's, I think, more established Another thing therapies. that'll get rid of your wrinkles. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm very, I, 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 I was know, getting uh, hyaluronic well, acid. Wrinkle, but I, you know, I was told by my doctor that I have a little osteoarthritis. Sure, yeah, it's very common. I mean, I was getting hyaluronic acid in my knees, and mm-hmm. it cost a fortune, yep. and it basically did nothing. But, uh, I mean... I'm talking about 500 bucks a shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem. Some of these therapies, they're, especially the injectables, are quite expensive work. and they don't necessarily work. They right? work for some people, not for others. So there were no promises. You know, okay. I, I don't have an issue. The problem with osteoarthritis uh, is that it's uh, once you start getting symptoms, by then a lot of that cartilage has already been eroded. Mm-hmm. So you're getting that bone on bone and it's hard to kind of manage. But there are therapies. I'd say let's try some of the other ones before you go to collagen. Okay, my next question. Okay, no, Jennifer, 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 I just looked at the time and we are out of it. So um, thanks for your call, Uh, but we've got to go. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, John Papasturgio, thanks so much. Good to be here. Uh, great, great to have <laughs> you here. That's all the time we have for Fight Back for today. Free for All Friday coming up tomorrow. All those people who could not get through, either for Andrea or for Doug Ford or for whatever you want to talk about, call back tomorrow. It's Free for All Friday. And we now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.